0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word and proclaim his gospel. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Teach us to number our days carefully, so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I wonder, how have you been feeling this week? How have you been feeling as you uh, watched that national virus count double? every three days? Have you been feeling as you hear the government's restrictions close in on our daily life? I know that some of you have been feeling anxious as you travel to work or worried for your parents or your grandparents. You know, this week on Monday morning, I woke up and read this article published on The Age, and I want to read to you what it says. Under the best case scenario of a 20% infection rate, About 50,000 people out of 5 million infected with COVID-19 would die. A moderate scenario of 10 million infections, 40% of the population would mean 100,000 dead. Now, the truth is, I'm not quite sure what I felt when I read those words. But whatever I felt, I've never felt it before. And I suspect that whatever I felt, I felt because for the very first time in living memory, everyone in this world is staring death in the face. All of us are inescapably confronted with our mortality. All of us, Christian or not, are crying out for help. We're crying out for answers. But who exactly are we crying to? And who exactly is at the other end of our pleas and our prayers? You see, over these four weeks, Psalm 90 to Psalm 93 will be our cry. They will be our cries to the King. And together with the psalmist, we'll cry out, Relent, O Lord. We'll cry out, The Lord is our refuge. We'll cry out, Rejoice in the Lord. And then... On Easter Sunday, the day on which King Jesus rose from the grave and established his kingdom, we will cry out, The Lord reigns. But today, in Psalm 90, God speaks to us in our frailty. This psalm, it's a national prayer, a prayer of all of God's people as they cry out to him in the midst of distress, disease, and even death. And this psalm invites us to do three things, to recognize our mortality, to realize our sin, and to return to our God. So point number one, to recognize our mortality. You know, it's hard not to recognize our mortality, isn't it? I mean, every day we're reminded moment by moment of how many people in this world have died from this virus. And as of this morning, 13,050 people dead. It's hard not to recognise our mortality. I know that many of us are not necessarily worried about our own mortality, but we're asking the question, what about our parents? What about our grandparents? Will they be safe? Will they yet live? But the truth is, we haven't always been this way, have we? I mean, just think about it. If you rewind two weeks ago, so many of us lived as if we would never die. So many of us lived as if we were eternal. So many of us lived as if we were gods. But this psalm invites us to recognize our mortality, that God is God and we are not. Just look with me at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world. From eternity to eternity, you are God. When was the last time you hiked a mountain? When was the last time you climbed a hill? Just last year, Sam Chen, one of our brothers uh, at church, hiked Horseshoe Bend, one of the Grand Canyons of Arizona. And, And if you've seen pictures of that bend, you'll just know how stunning it is. And when you reach the lookout point, 1.3 kilometres above sea level, you can't help but feel insignificant. Because you just think about how many other people over the years have stood on this ground before. And then you wonder how many more will stand on this ground in the years to come. Ground that is so old and enduring. Ground that is so ancient, ground that geologists estimate is older than 5 million years. And yet, the psalmist tells us that that is nothing compared to our God. But before a drop of water even began to cut a stream through the rocks of Horseshoe Bend, God was. Before time itself even existed, God has been our refuge He has been our protection, our aid, and our help. God is our rock and our refuge. He is the God who was and is and is to come. He is the eternal God who needs nothing, who depends on nobody, and who sustains everyone. He is the God who is on our side. My gosh, if you're going if you're going to trust someone, if you're going to depend on something with your whole life, make sure that it's more enduring than you. Make sure that it's eternal. From eternity to eternity. You are God. I mean, my gosh, there's a whole world of meaning behind those seven words. That they tell us that the ultimate reality in this universe is not an idea. It's not a hypothesis and it's not a theory. No, the ultimate reality in this universe is an eternal and a personal God. The God who created everything out of nothing. And it's not as if this God created us because he needed us. No, he created us out of love, grace and, and generosity this is the God who depends on none other for his own existence. And can I tell you, what a relief. What a relief. Because if God does not depend on you, then you can depend on him. You know, we're all told right now that we need a band together. We all need to support each other. We all need to depend on each other. Children look to their parents. Friends look to each other. Adults look to society and society then looks to governments. But here's my question. What happens when all systems fail? What happens when children, friends, parents, societies and governments, all of us are brought to our knees by a virus that can wipe us all out? Who shall we depend on then? Where else shall we go? Well, from eternity to eternity, you alone are God. But not us. Not us. We humans are not God. I wonder, have you ever held a speck of dust in your hand? It sits there so lightly, but with one simple blow, it's gone. It's gone. That's how ephemeral our lives are. If you've ever crushed a spice in a mortar and pestle, you'll know how it can be ground to a fine powder. Well, that's the picture of our lives in verse 3. Our lives are crushed, pulverized, and ground down to something so frail and fleeting. See, all of us are children of Adam. All of us are inheritors of mortality. Christian or not, You know, we Christians, we're not any more immune or any less vulnerable to disease and death. No, this psalm is saying that all of us must recognize our mortality. And all of us need to acknowledge that God alone is eternal. It's him who determines the length of our days. It's him who decides when we live and when we die. But so many of us live as if we will never die. So many of us live as if we will never die. Instead of recognising the mortality that belongs to us, no, we want to claim an eternity that belongs to God. Two days ago, we were warned by our government, weren't we? That unless we maintain our social distance, we risk catching and spreading this virus. But on that very same day, over 500 siders crammed onto Bondi Beach. And part of me looking at that just kind of wanted to scream at them, like, don't you get it? Don't you understand that you might just die? Don't you understand that you might even kill someone? Who do you think you are? You're not God. We live as if we will never die. But verse 4 reminds us that God alone is eternal. You know, for him, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. It's nothing, but not for us. We are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows, but by evening, it withers and dries up. You see, if we were to look at that blade of grass early in the morning, we might just think that this would last forever. But what we don't realize is that within just a few hours, the noonday sun will rise and it will scorch this grass and it will wither And die. You see, what this psalm does is it zooms out on our life. It sets our lives against the backdrop of eternity. And it gives us this sobering reminder the sun will always rise, the leaves will never last, and our lives will one day fade. I mean, how in the world can we put ourselves at the center of the universe? Why in the world would we trust ourselves when we are here today and gone tomorrow? No, friends, our only hope is in the eternal God, the God who numbers our days. Recognize your mortality. Number two, realize our sin. Realize our sin. We can all be so short-sighted, can't we? I mean, we, we prefer to treat the symptom than cure the sickness. And so many of us, we're unwilling to sacrifice our comfort for the sake of saving our country. The, the government warns us that unless we pay short-term costs, we will suffer long-term consequences. And yet, when you look outside, when you go into the city, when you're watch the news, we realise that people would rather go to the footy, hit the beach or travel overseas. All because we're just too short-sighted. But what's the point of enjoying today if we die tomorrow? I mean, we might fix our trivial problem of sport only to neglect our bigger problem of sickness. But what if I told you that our sickness is not even our deepest problem? What what if I told you that we could control every crowd, we could lock down every home, we could vaccinate every person, but still, we would have only dealt with the symptom and not the sickness. What if I told you that even death is not our greatest problem? You know, the great risk for many of us in this season is that we will recognise our mortality, but we will not realize our sin. Well, the truth is this pandemic will pass. It will pass. But even after it passes, the sun will still rise. The leaves will still fall. The grass will still fade and we will all still die. Virus or not, death still afflicts us all. See, if you're not a Christian, let me urge you, don't think about your mortality, but forget your eternity. Don't think about your mortality only to forget your eternity. Don't don't just ask the question, how can I save my life? Ask, how can I save my soul? Don't just ask, how can I avoid death? Now ask that far deeper question, why do we even die? I mean, right, on one level, there is nothing more natural than death. All of us live and all of us die. And yet, there's also something deeply unnatural about death, isn't there? You know, when when my grandmother died, I I saw her body lying there and I, I couldn't help but think to myself, this isn't the way it's meant to be. There is something deep inside all of us that stares death in the face and thinks to ourselves, that's not right. And it's not. It's really not. Because for God, death is not natural. Death is not right. Death is not the way that it was meant to be. God didn't create us to die. He created us to live. He didn't create us for mortality. He created us for eternity. That's the way it was meant to be. But if instead of enjoying eternal life with God, the truth is we would prefer eternal death without Him. The government warns us, if you don't distance yourself, you will surely die. But what do the bogans from Bondi say? Stuff it. Well, God said to Adam, if you trust me, you will surely live, but if you reject me, you will surely die. And what did Adam say? Stuff it. I'd prefer to die without you than to live forever with you. And so, Adam gets exactly what he asked for. All of us get exactly what we asked for. A life without God, a life that deserves his anger, his wrath and his judgment, a life that ends in death. Why, why do we die? Well, we die because we have sinned against the God of life. We suffer mortality because we have rejected eternity. We suffer death because we have rejected the God of life. I mean, that, that's what we find in verses 7 and 8. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, our deepest sickness is sin and our greatest problem is God's wrath. The psalmist wants us to recognize our mortality, but, but even more importantly, he wants us to realize our sin. Friends, I hope you can see this, that our mortality is but the symptom of the sickness that is our sin. My friend once told me, Adam, our our comfort, it covers over the cracks of this broken world. Well, the reality is now that our comfort has been stripped away, hasn't it? And the cracks of this world are laid bare for all to see. And now we realise that actually, life is not easy. Verse 9 says that our lives just slip away. They end with a tired and weary sigh. Some of us might live to 70 or 80. But when we realise our sin, even our best days are struggle and sorrow. I mean, just think about it, right? What's the point of all our achievements, all our success, all our work, when in the end we live fleeting lives under the wrath of God? We're all just perishing. But if we recognize our mortality, and if we realize our sin, friends, then and only then will we know how to truly live. If we accept our humanity and then cast ourselves on the God of eternity, then and only then will we know how not to waste our lives. That's why the psalmist prays in verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully, so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts you can probably already tell, I'm pretty frustrated at how many people just don't get the seriousness of this virus. Well, just imagine how much more frustrated God must be and how many of us just don't get the seriousness of sin. Let's just think about it. If we really got it, surely we would fear him. Surely we would trust him. Surely we would cast ourselves on his mercy. Surely we will number our days and live in light of eternity. You know, right now, the whole world is asking, what does it matter, the successful career or the worldly riches, if you're not even alive to enjoy them? Well, right now, God is asking, what does it matter, the healthy body or the long life, if we are destined for an eternity without God? You see, if we really recognized our mortality, if we really realized our sin, if we really got the seriousness of judgment, wouldn't we then cry out to God? Well, wouldn't we find refuge not just in our homes, but true refuge in the eternal and the merciful King? Well, wouldn't we love our family and friends enough to not just protect them from sickness, but save them from sin? Wouldn't we return? To our God. And that's exactly what the psalmist does now in verses 13 to 17. He cries out to God, he calls on the name of the Lord, and he uses God's personal name, Yahweh. He claims a personal relationship with this God, a relationship of love, of intimacy, of trust. Yahweh. How long turn and have compassion on your servants? My gosh, what a prayer. And what a prayer for us to pray in a time like this. How long will this virus spread? How long will people continue to die? How long will our church family be separated by this crisis? God, turn and have compassion on us. Change our course. Spare our lives, have mercy on our souls, save us from this sickness, deliver us from death. In verse 14, the psalmist cries out that God might turn his night into day and his suffering into joy. For every day that they've been humbled, afflicted and crushed, let there be just as many days of joy. Let there be just as many years of gladness. This psalmist is praying. God, reverse our fortunes. In the words of Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. You see, friends, that's the work that this psalmist longs to see in verse 16. It's God's work of salvation. It's his work of divine deliverance. You see, in this prayer, The psalmist is returning to his God. He is crying out, Relent, O Lord. You know, if there's any season to renew our commitment to pray, surely this is it. And I wonder, do you you plead with God in your prayers? Or are your prayers theologically pure but emotionally sterile? Right? So, so we pray with a right sense of respect and, and reverence for the eternal God. But the reality is when I hear myself pray sometimes, I don't think I mean it. When was the last time you let God know how you really feel? When was the last time you cried out to God from the depths of your soul, How long, O oh Lord? Remember me. Save me. Deliver me. You see, in this psalm, God is giving voice to our deepest cries. He's inviting us to make these words our prayer. To, in one sense, push the boundaries of respect and reverence so that we might be raw and real. As we recognize our mortality, we return to our God for life. And as we realize our sin, our far deeper sickness, we return to our God for salvation. You see, this psalm, it's it's inviting us to return to our God, not just in response to our mortality, but in response to our sin. This psalm is the cry of every heart that realizes our sin, that repents of our sin, and that recognizes that we deserve nothing but wrath. You see, I want you to know, friends, that this is the point where this prayer becomes so, so beautiful. We're not praying this prayer in vain hope that God might forgive us or that God might save us. Prayer is not an act of divine arm twisting. No, we can pray this prayer, believe it or not, confident that God has already answered it. He has already answered it in Jesus. I mean, Jesus is is God's answer to that cry, how long, O Lord? Jesus is the one who turned and had compassion on us. Jesus satisfied us with his faithful love. Jesus reversed our fortunes and gives us an eternity of joy and gladness. Jesus is God's ultimate saving work. You know, we should have been the ones who were consumed by God's anger. But Jesus was consumed by that anger for us. It's us who should have suffered God's wrath, but it was Jesus who suffered that wrath in our place. And so the sin we bear has been paid for and the mortality we wear is not the end of our story. I don't know about you, but my prayer life could be so much better. And so often I pray as if I'm praying to a God who can answer, but probably won't, let's face it. I mean, don't we pray often with very little confidence that God is even on the other end of the line? But he is. He is. In fact, God gives us Psalms just like this one so that we might pour out our hearts in desperation. And here's the beauty of it all. We can pray this prayer confident that God has already heard us. He has already answered us. He has already provided for us. So we don't need to be afraid for our deepest sickness has been cured. Our sin has been nailed to the cross of Christ. And sure, it's true, as we look around, we live in a world that that bears the scars of sin. And we have bodies that are weakened by mortality. But friends, we have a hope that lasts beyond the grave. It's a hope that no disaster, no disease, and not even death itself can destroy. You see, fellow Christian, pray this prayer, confident that God has already answered it in Jesus' He has saved your soul. And one day he will raise your body to life and make it perfect in every way. If you're not a Christian, here are the three truths that you need to know today. Number one, the eternal God numbers the days of mortal men. God is God and we are not. Number two, The righteous God judges the sin of wicked men. Our sin is our deepest sickness and our greatest problem. But number three, the faithful God hears the cries of humble men. You see, if you humble yourself, If you turn to him, if you cry out to him in the words of this psalm, if you confess your sin, plead for forgiveness and cast yourself on his mercy, if you say, God, help me, he will hear you. And you never have to worry that he might not answer you because he already has. So my dear friend, what are you waiting for? If we return to the king, he will turn to us. If we cry to the king, the king will care for us. Let me pray. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.